And thank you all for giving me this opportunity to come up before you and to preach God's Word. I want to show my book here, also as an illustration. And if you're not familiar with me, my name is John Lewis. I'm one of the Americans here. I'm from Biloxi, Mississippi. That's down in the southern region there, right on the Gulf of Mexico. Um, and being that I'm from the South, uh, obviously, as you can tell by looking at me, and if you speak with me, you know that I'm not a very polished person. I'm kind of rough around the edges. Um, I chalked that up to being a military veteran, also being retired police officer. But one thing I do have is a very sincere love for Jesus. And I want to share Jesus with everyone. I want the whole world to know Jesus. And that's why I'm in full-time ministry now. And God has blessed me with the opportunity to come here to St. John's, Newfoundland and be a part of Mile One Mission. And soon, uh, my focus is going to be exclusively on the little church up there in Labrador uh, called uh, Northern Cross Community Church. I'll be going up there in a couple of weeks to spend four Sundays uh, being their pastor for them, trying to help uh, regroup that church. And uh, I think wonderful things are going to happen up that way, as they are happening here in St. John's. And today, what we're going to be looking at um, is a biblical concern for discipleship and growth. And this sermon is going to be a little bit different from what we normally do here. Normally, we do expositional preaching. That's where we kind of give you a passage, we explain that passage to you, and then we apply that passage to our lives. What I'm doing is I'm taking this passage here, which is an excellent descriptive passage of the early church in Acts, to illustrate our point for biblical discipleship. And you'll see this book up here. This book is called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church by Mark Dever. And we've been using it this summer as we're going through our series that we're calling a post-COVID biblically healthy church. And this is a very excellent book if you want to pick this up and read it. And today we're going to be focusing on chapter 6 from this book. And in this chapter 6... It's going to explain how and why discipleship is so important for the growth of the individual and for the church as a whole. And he begins chapter 6 with a story of a man named Dan. <clears throat> Dan was not a Christian, but he had Christian friends. And one night he went to a meeting to where these uh, Christian friends kind of brought up the subject of uh, faith and salvation. And before long, Dan was asked to recite the sinner's prayer. Now, if, you've never, if you don't know what the sinner's prayer is, it's basically saying, I'm sorry for what I've done. done. Jesus, please come into my heart. He did this after he received a sanitized version of the gospel. And as a result, he believed he was saved from judgment. He believed he was a Christian. And he believed he was going to go to heaven after he died. <clears throat> but most likely, Dan was a victim of a false conversion experience. And we don't say this lightly, but it became evident in that afterwards, Dan did not exhibit any of the character traits of a Christian. He did not have a desire to read the Bible. He didn't have a desire to even learn what it was that he believed. Um, and it didn't stop there. He had no desire to share his faith, and he didn't attend church on a regular basis. And worse yet, when he did go to church... He often disagreed with what the pastor was preaching, 
Uh, he did not like the idea of church discipline, and he re actually removed his daughter from the choir because he was afraid she was going to get caught up in mission work. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but that certainly doesn't sound like a, a very good Christian to me. And sadly, on a certain level, I can relate with Dan. When I was a younger man in my early teens, <clears throat> I attended some vacation Bible school programs and church programs, and everyone there was encouraged to do this sinner's prayer. And the way it was usually presented was kind of a, a gotcha moment. It was like, you know, here's the sanitized version of the gospel. You don't want to go to hell. I mean, you want to go to heaven. You're not stupid, right? So you're going to say this prayer with us. Jesus, I'm sorry for what I've done. Come into my heart. Ominous Dominus, you guys are Christians. Now get out of here. And that's, that's how it was. There was no discipleship afterwards. So for me, when I left vacation Bible school, I didn't feel any different. Not that emotions equate to conversion. It's just nothing changed. Life went back to normal. And I had the general impression that I was a Christian. You know, but I actually had no idea what it was I believed. And I didn't have any desire to learn anything else, learn any further. You see, to me, I believed a Christian meant trying to act like a good person. You know, occasionally throw money in the offering plate. And if you do something wrong, apologize for it. That's what I thought being a Christian was. I had no real understanding of my sin. I didn't understand the need for repentance. I didn't know what Jesus' atoning sacrifice meant. And I certainly had absolutely no idea of a future resurrection. This watered-down, seeker-friendly version of the gospel was, that I heard, just basically, it was a maligned version of the truth. And it wasn't the truth. And I don't believe I would have gone to heaven had I died. Now, I've told this story several times over the years. As I went through seminary and as I got involved with North American Mission Board, you do different interviews, and I tell this story. And I actually had some folks uh, kind of challenge me on that. And they would say, John, we think you would have went to heaven, though. You asked Jesus into your heart. Um, I mean, and they would usually reference the thief on the cross as proof of this. They'd say, look, the guy on the cross next to Jesus, all he did was he said, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus said he was going to go to heaven. I said, hmm, well, possible, I suppose. I said, but I would retort with this. Did I ever repent of my sins? Because being sorry for something bad I did and turning from sin are two totally separate things. You know, what I remember is that, you know, Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That's Matthew 16, 24. I don't remember ever reading in the Bible. He said, ask me to come into your heart. And even here in the book of Acts, just a few verses back, we hear from Peter. He says to the crowds, he says, repent and be baptized so that you may receive the Holy Spirit. I think that's verse 38, actually. But I want to tell you my true conversion experience. When I really became a child of God, a follower of Christ. I was 22 years old. I was in the military. I was in the Air Force. And I was stationed in Germany at a, a place called Hahn Air Base. And it was all part of what they called the base drawdown detail. We were closing bases in uh, parts of Europe as part of the START II treaty with Russia to kind of downsize everything. 
And while I was there, I actually I loved the place. It was a beautiful place. It was a wonderful base. But I got stuck on a work detail. They called it the bat team, the base appearance team. And I didn't think it sounded that bad at first. But what it equated to, we, as, we were out there raking leaves in the sleet. Uh, we were moving heavy furniture down dormitory steps and doing all kinds of labor jobs that just gave me the absolute worst attitude you can imagine. My attitude was in the gutter. But it was during this time, folks, that I found my Savior. There was a guy on the detail with us. His name was Jack. And this dude had a smile on his face 24-7, you know. And the other, me and the other guys on the, on the work detail would kind of look at this guy and, you know, we're like, what's wrong with this dude? Why are you happy all the time? I mean, don't you, I mean, you're out here raking leaves with sleets hitting us on the back of the neck. It's like, what's going on with this fellow? So one of the guys finally had enough of it and said, look, Jack, why are you so happy all the time, man? And Jack replied, I have Jesus. Me and the other guys looked at each other like, great. That's what we need, another religion freak, you know, on this detail, you know. And as bad as my attitude was, I'll tell you this, Jack took the time to ask me what I believed, why I believed it. And then he took the time to tell me the true gospel message. And he told me it in meticulous detail. And this didn't happen over 10 minutes. This happened over a span of two days. And this was a very much a life-changing experience for me. I realized I was not following Jesus at all. I learned about the nature of sin, and I learned that repentance was an essential part of my conversion. And Jack also explained how fellowship was so important to be a part of a group with other believers, and it was necessary for me to grow spiritually. And as all these things sank in, my outlook on life changed. Suddenly all these material items that I thought I needed and all these career goals that I was aiming for didn't matter so much anymore. The gospel made me realize how ignorant I was, how separated from God I was, and that I was dead in my sin. But God in his infinite love for me was manifested in Christ and all the work that he did on Calvary. Now, after my conversion, unfortunately, I learned a very difficult lesson in life about how not being involved in discipleship can be detrimental to your faith. Being in the military, I moved around every couple of years. I was in transportation, so they, they'd move us around. Uh, the military chapels didn't really teach doctrine on the level like you'll hear from Steve Bray. Um, there weren't really any disciple groups, so I just pretty much just kind of stopped going. Um, and even after I separated from the military in late 1998 um, and into the civilian sector, I kind of bounced around to a couple different churches, really wasn't learning. But I thought I could do it all on my own. I thought if I read the Bible diligently and prayed to God, I would mature as a Christian. Sadly, that's not the case. You see, Basically, I was spiritually, I was like a child trying to learn the wisdom of adults. I didn't understand what I was reading half the time. I didn't even know how to pray properly. I thought praying was, oh, I'm going to recite what this is in, in Matthew chapter 5. And I did. I did that night after night. 
And I also sometimes said the 23rd Psalm. Didn't really understand what it meant, but I said it because my mom and dad were going to a Catholic church and they said the same thing over and over again. So I figured that's how you're supposed to pray. But church family, I'm going to tell you this. Fruit will not be produced without water, sunlight, and care for a sprout after it, a seed is planted. Discipleship was the nurturing that I needed in my walk with Jesus so I could have grown in my faith. And when I finally connected with a good church, that was FBC Biloxi, I really began to be discipled and I began to learn. I was this dry sponge that was soaking up the living water of Jesus. And I wanted to share it with everyone. It lit a fire in me. This early church here in this patches of Acts, um, like I said, these folks here were in a very different situation than what we're in. This was a group of Jews, and they just had their entire world upended. But that didn't stop them from wanting to be the church. You know, none of the New Testament was written yet, um, so they were relying on the teaching of the apostles at this time for insight and for guidance. They faced very real opposition and persecution, yet they weren't dissuaded from their faith. They embraced this new faith, uh, despite this time of uncertainty. And they also shared their faith, and they had good fellowship with one another. And when you do your Bible reading, and you go through the book of Acts, and you go into the epistles, or we, the letters of the New Testament, you read that evangelism was always followed up with a sense of discipleship, a fellowship in the local church. Because generally, there weren't any Sunday school classes like we know it here in, in, in most modern churches. So believers, they grew in their faith by being mentored through the fellowship of the church. And, you know, the appearance and the operation of the church may have changed over the last 2,000 years, sometimes very drastically. But the methods that we see here in the early church are not outdated or ineffective. They're very much helpful. And like I said, this passage, this description, this illustration of the early church, um, it shows how they were a fellowship of believers. And all of this following the events on the day of Pentecost. You had Peter's wonderful sermon that he had just given to these folks. And then you see that there was a surge of new believers. I believe it says there were, what, 3,000? And verse 41 added. Can you imagine if 3,000 people came to Christ today? and wanted to come to this church. I mean, I think we could squeeze 250 in here. We would probably have to have 10 services on a Sunday just so everybody could participate. That's, that's what they were looking at. They were looking at these blessings from God. They were involved in something new and something wonderful. And when you, and, and like I said, uh, these behaviors of these believers who were involved in this new church, they were true converts and they lived and acted according to their faith. Um, this, church, uh, this passage here shows this early church. The church itself is not the building. It is the people who follow Jesus. And Mark Dever, in our book here, he expands on this notion. He gives a definition of a healthy church on page 176, and he states this. He says, a healthy church is characterized by having members who are seriously concerned for their spiritual growth. In a healthy church, people want to get better at following Jesus. 
in a healthy church, people want to get better at following Jesus. If you have people in your church who are spiritually apathetic, uh, sometimes they call them Sunday morning Christians, that might be indicative of somebody who's had a false conversion experience, or at the very least, might be somebody who's not being properly discipled. There should be an active desire in a believer to get to know Jesus, to get to know his word and to conform to his image. The command of deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me should never be received as some type of strenuous act where you meet it with procrastination and reluctance. Following Jesus should never be a burden. Discipleship helps us to understand our faith and how we're to grow in holiness and obedience to God. So if, if I had to put this sermon in one sentence for you, and we were tossing this around all week, <laughs> thankful for my buddies at Mile One Mission, I would say that discipleship helps ensure us uh, to stay on the narrow path of obedience. Discipleship helps ensure we stay on that narrow path of obedience. And the way we do that is through our accountability partners that we have as part of our fellowship. <clears throat> Listen to what Paul says here when he wrote to the church in Thessalonica. He says, Additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God as you are doing, he's acknowledging the fact that they're doing this, he says, do this even more. And I think we should all take that to heart. That's 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 and 2. You see, obedience is always emphasized in the Bible as necessary to live a life that is pleasing to God. It's absolutely necessary for us if we're going to walk with Christ. We cannot say we love God and love one another if we're not obedient to his commands. It's that simple. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. And this church here that we read about in, in Acts chapter 2 illustrates that fact. And they, they also demonstrate the fact that all of the nine marks that Mark Dever describes were being demonstrated by them. This church had a tremendously positive impact in early Jerusalem. Uh, it was a healthy church, and it served as a wonderful example of how the body of Christ should be represented in the world. Now, if you'll look with me at verse 42 here at the beginning of the passage, I just want to unpack a few things right quick. Um, there are four things it says the church is devoted to. And these four things are the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Again, like I said, the, the, the New Testament wasn't written yet. Um, and the apostles were using the Old Testament scripture for teaching, usually in the fulfillment of the Messianic prophecies. But they also taught these new disciples what they had directly learned from Jesus himself. And you remember in the, new, in the, in the Great Commission, Jesus said that you're going to be teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. He's telling that to the apostles. You're going to be teaching them everything I have commanded you. That's Matthew 28, 20, by the way. So new believers were devoted to these apostles, to their teachings, because they were a direct source for knowledge of Christ and all of his teachings. 
And the apostles also emphasized the way these new believers would live in the new covenant of grace as opposed to an old legalistic style under the covenant of law. And eventually, these students who were under the apostles, they would mature in their faith, and they would go out and evangelize and disciple more people. So you see, discipleship was a key for early church growth, not only for the individual, but for the church as a whole. That's how we gain the numbers. Now, the second thing here in verse 42 they were devoted to is fellowship. And the fellowship is a necessary component to help these new disciples and these believers come into spiritual maturity. Now, I found it oddly enough that this word fellowship here in this verse is the only time this word is used in the book of Acts. And here it's used in a list of shared activities uh, with this group of believers. Um, and these group activities were like learning doctrine, sharing meals, and both individual and group prayer. Because, like I said, this illustration of this church, this was a portrait of God's family. This is the bride of Christ. They were living life together and serving one another. And the third phrase here, or the third thing here in uh, verse 42 that they were devoted to is the breaking of bread. Now, this is not necessarily alluding to the Lord's Supper or communion. Uh, it could simply mean a fellowship of believers having a good meal. And because the Lord's Supper in this early days here was, was typically part of a larger meal, a more formal setting. And the only other time this phrase that's translated breaking of bread is used in the New Testament is in Luke 24. That's where the disciples encountered the risen Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and they, and they invited him to a meal. But either way, not to get caught up in details, the sentiment being expressed here is that there was an intimate connection among believers, and that's what was important, and it should be important to us as well. Now, the fourth thing mentioned was prayer, and prayer, of course, was done both individually and communally with, with everyone there at the time. Um, Prayer is our open communication with God. It's the time where we can go to God and we seek His direction in our life. We seek His will for us and what's for our church. We confess our sins, we bring our fears and our failures to Him, and we ask for blessings in our lives and the lives of our loved ones. And the early church knew the value of prayer too. And for them, some of them might actually have been fortunate enough to see the Lord Jesus Christ praying Himself in person. What a blessing that would have been. But the overall point here on verse 42 is that the early church had a strong sense of community. They, the believers there, saw one another as family. That's what was important. Generosity, compassion, empathy, and love permeated every aspect of the local church. Believers were devoted in their faith uh, because of the discipleship that they had to bring them deeper and spiritually more mature. Now, the people of Jerusalem at this time sat up and took notice of everything that was happening. Uh, and it wasn't just from the miracles, because the apostles were going around performing miracles at this time. It says so in our passage here. And the people who were actually in the church themselves, you know, they were especially aware of everything that was happening. And these people were in awe. Communities like this had not been seen previously. 
not in the Jewish community or in the secular community. And if it was, it was very few and far between. The outside community was amazed because these folks who were following Jesus, these folks were different. They were changed by their devotion to him. These were strangers becoming family. A couple of months ago, Pastor Matt described in a sermon at the Kilbride Church about how cashiers study real money very extensively um, so that when counterfeit money comes across their counter, uh, they spot it immediately. And I, and I can attest to this. As a police officer, I was always amazed in the casinos when I saw the ladies in the cashier cages. They could spot a fake bill instantaneously. They could just bat, pull it right out of the stack. That's fake. You know, because authenticity is everything when it comes to handling currency. That same principle applies to us. Authenticity applies to believers. Our behavior should exhibit sincere efforts to become disciples of Christ. We should not be living as though we're still a part of this world. Uh, we should be using good discernment in our lives, no matter how many times you may be labeled as judgmental, narrow-minded, or bigoted. Christians should simply never embrace ungodly religious behaviors, or rebellious behaviors, I'm sorry. Um, remember, Paul said this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit in whom you've been sealed for the day of redemption. That's Ephesians 4.30. <coughs> Simply enough, the world doesn't want you to turn from your sin. The world wants you to celebrate your sin. It wants you to put your sin up on a pedestal and worship it. You want it to be your idol. Your sin is what identifies you in the world. Remember the story of Dan? His life reflected that of a, a worldly Christian. If there is such a thing, that's kind of an oxymoron. He had not repented of his sin. And he, he still embraced his sin because that was evident in the way he argued with the pastor and he didn't want any church discipline. That's not the mark of an authentic Christian, folks. Jesus wants you to know him so that you can be reconciled back to God through repentance of our sin and be in obedience to his command. Putting your faith in Jesus is the way to be reconciled to God. Discipleship is the way that helps us learn this good discernment. It helps us stay on this narrow path of obedience. And discipleship helps create authentic Christians. Remember, Jesus said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, when he gave the Great Commission. So the importance of discipleship cannot be overstated. The last thing we want to produce are Christians that come across as hypocrites. We want our speech to match our actions. Remember, authenticity is everything. <clears throat> Excuse me. One of my favorite authors is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you're not familiar with him, uh, he was a German pastor and a theologian in the early 20th century. He died in Nazi Germany, um, and he wrote many great works. And one of the things that stood out the most to me was he wrote these words. He said, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Now think about that. That's a very bold statement. Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. This ought to cause most churches in North America to stop in their tracks and evaluate 
whether they are truly discipling their members. You know, those of us who work at Mile One Mission, when we're in the offices, our boss, Steve Bray, he, he's all the time asking us, who disciples you and who are you discipling? That's a very important question, not only for those who are involved in full-time ministry, but for everyone seated here in this room and everyone watching us on the broadcast. Who disciples you and who are you discipling? When Jesus spoke to the multitudes, we read this in, Go in Luke's gospel, he made this statement. He said, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. That's Luke 640. Disciples of Christ are to become like Christ, not to stay like the rest of the world. Discipleship will help us stay on that narrow path of obedience and move towards Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. I want to tell you this right quick. In 2008, I had the opportunity to meet Todd Friel. At the time, he was working with the Way of the Master program with Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron, and everyone, all of them were there. But I, I found Todd Friel to be the most interesting one there. He's giant, by the way. He's like six foot six or something. Um, when he was talking to us, he told us about his faults and his true conversion stories and how very much different they really were. Todd explained that when he was young, I believe he said he did the sinner's prayer, and he thought he was a Christian. He thought he was a Christian so much that he wanted to be a pastor. He spoke Christian vocabulary. Uh, he exhibited the behavior of a Sunday morning saint, and he had everyone in his life convinced he was a Christian, even himself. But Todd began to fall away from the church. He described his life as a Christian facade, and he had no real conversion away from the real world. He was still involved very much in the world. Even though he attended seminary and he went to uh, church on a regular basis, it still had no effect on him. Todd eventually quit the church. He became involved in secular television and even became a stand-up comedian for about four years. And the one thing I remember Todd saying when he was talking to us, he said this. He said, a rehearsed prayer does not save you. He said, a rehearsed prayer equates to a work. And we're not saved by works. We're saved by the mercy and the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And Todd credits God with pulling him out away from the wickedness of this world and into that salvation. And if you listen to his program now, he hosts Wretched Radio, and I believe he also has a YouTube channel, you will hear him often teach about the dangers of false conversion. And he also will talk about the lack of discipleship in the modern church. If there is somebody who's a false convert in our sanctuary or in any church sanctuary, discipleship will help them be informed about true salvation. It will bring them closer to Jesus Christ through the teaching of the word. Many people have a simple knowledge of Jesus. But that simple knowledge is not what's going to save you. An intellectual understanding of the gospel won't help you if you don't apply it to your life. You know, the Bible says that even the demons know Jesus. Think of the man in Mark chapter 5. This was a man who was filled with a legion of demons. A legion of demons. What did he do when he saw Jesus? He ran to him. 
and he dropped on his knees before them. Folks, if the demons, the fallen angels who follow Satan, if they do this, why don't we? The Bible also says in James chapter 2, verse 19, that not only do the demons know Jesus, they tremble in his presence. So as we do discipleship, whether it's formal class settings or informal fellowship, it is the way that people are instructed in the gospel. It's how we can, can give our verbal testimony and they can see our living testimony. Faith is grown, people are mentored, and they are accountable. And going back to Mark Dever's book, on page 185, he writes these words. He says, when we begin to understand the reality of our sinful rebellion against God, then we begin to understand more of God's love for us. A church that is clear on the gospel will help you grow as a Christian. It will help you grow in confidence as you know the love of God. That's what's called gospel clarity. It's not just a knowledge of the gospel, just a knowledge of Jesus, but it's a life that is changed because the gospel is applied. The early church had this type of clarity. It's very evident. That's why we use it as an illustration here. Uh, verse 45 alone shows their response. You know, Jesus always, he commanded, love God first and love one another. And here you see how the early church was doing that. They were obedient to what Jesus commanded. They sold their possessions, and then they distributed the money to those who needed it the most. Now, obviously, the church didn't continue in this extreme charity after the first century. Uh, it just simply didn't happen, um, aside from maybe a few small sects in history. But however, the principle of sacrificial giving is still very much prevalent in the church today, and it should be. It's something we should, should all want um, as part of our obedience to God. And folks, obedience is not only uh, essential for the growth of the believer, but to the growth of the overall church. And again, we see that in the, in the end of our passage here in verse 47. It says, God added to their number daily as he brought more souls into salvation. God blesses those who are obedient to him. And he certainly blessed this uh, early church in spite of the persecution they may have faced. And remember, when discipleship keeps us on that narrow path of obedience, it helps ensure that we, that we follow our call into a life of holiness. Calvary Baptist Church has grown over the years. Maybe not daily in number, but this local church has grown. And, and, and the, the wild thing is it's, it's grown in an area that's not exactly welcoming towards Christian doctrine and beliefs. I believe it's because Calvary Baptist, we as a family here, we demonstrate our love for God and our love for our community. As a result, God is blessing us. He is blessing this church here. Now, there's always room for improvement. You know, always there's room for improvement. But I can attest to you that it's been an absolute blessing for me to have been here these past 16 months. You guys have shown me more hospitality than any other church I've ever been involved in. You've gone out of your way to be nice to me and to help me, especially when I first got here, giving me furniture and all the wonderful meals I was getting. I, I'd never seen something like it before. 
and, and it, it stays with me. I still think about that often. I, and I, I'm, I'm just thankful to God to be a part of Calvary Baptist Church. In America, you, I'm sure you've seen these large, seeker-friendly churches that are kind of dotted across America. Thousands and thousands of people show up every Sunday, and they lure people in there with these flashy productions and these fancy entertainment spectacles. Most of these churches, if you go in them, they consider you to be a Christian simply because you acknowledge Jesus is the Son of God. If you just say, God, you know, he had a son, his name is Jesus, and Jesus is a Savior. He's a way to heaven among many. He's not necessarily my Savior. They'll still consider you Christian. And that's the great fallacy of this easy believism movement that's associated with the megachurches in the United States. It's an obsession with numbers, and that is the sin of pride for all of these seeker-friendly churches. But I can tell you, church family here, we don't have that problem. Calvary operates as an authentic community church. Um, we're not a numbers-driven business. We often look to God's mirror here, our, our, our Bible, as our guide, and God always speaks faithfully to us. And as we go out with Mile One Mission to plant these churches, Adam is doing it downtown, Matt's doing it in Kilbride, I'll be going up to Goose Bay to relaunch the church up there next year. We are going to operate in obedience to God, in, in faithfulness, and following Him and following His Word. Now, one thing I'd like to share with you before I close here, um, it's a short segment from a book. Steve shared this with me on Thursday morning. It's from the book called Revelation, The Spirit Speaks to the Churches. It's by James Hamilton, Jr. Now, if you were here on Wednesday night, you saw a very real human side of church. And I don't say this to criticize or blame anyone or anything like that. That's, that's not what I'm saying here. I heard a lot of people say they were hurt feelings, but I'm going to tell you what I saw. I saw humble expressions of love. I saw expressions of care and concern, and I saw prayer for one another. That's what I saw. I want to read you this right quick. It says, someday we will wish we had served others more. Someday we will wish we had rejoiced at every opportunity to make sacrifices for the church needs. The church is the discipleship program that God has given to his people. When the church meets, discipleship is happening as those who are farther along in their Christ-likeness act like Jesus on behalf of those who have farther to go. We all have a long way to go. Um, so we should look around and observe the way people are acting like Jesus, and we should imitate them. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. He was the greatest, yet he was the servant. The idea is for all of us to be living out Christ's likeness for the benefit of others, so that people will see that, you know, what it means to look out for our, not only for our own interests, but for the interests of others. The church lives out discipleship, and Christ is glorified.
So Calvary Baptist, as I close, I want to say this. I want to implore you, I mean ask you sincerely from my heart, get involved in discipleship. That doesn't mean you have to teach a Sunday school class. It simply means be a part of the fellowship. Don't just sit on the sidelines and be passive in your walk with Jesus. Get involved and impact the lives of others, the people who are here in this room and those who are outside. You know, who are you discipling and who disciples you? I mean, folks on this side of the room, do you guys know them over there? And you guys over here, do you know the folks in the middle? I certainly don't. I have a lot of room for improvement. And that's what I'm emphasizing here. Get to know one another and love and care for one another. Everything we do in this life, everything we do impacts our eternity. So make the most of the time you're given. Love God first and foremost and then love one another in the same way. And you're going to do it all for the glory of God in Jesus Christ. So let us pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to be before this, this, this local church here, Lord. It's a humbling experience. And I pray that all that I've said glorifies you, Lord. And I pray that this call to discipleship, Lord, this fellowship that we have, may it be beneficial not only for us here at the church, but for our whole communities, Lord. I pray let your word speak to us, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit fill us with joy. Give us the guidance and the direction that we need in the, in the week ahead of us, Lord, and, and in the coming months and years, Lord. May your blessings be here upon this little church, Lord. Let us grow. And let downtown community church and Kilbride community church grow, Lord. Let, let the, the word of God be preached to all ends of this little town and throughout Newfoundland and all across Canada, Lord. We thank you so much for all that you've done in Christ Jesus, Lord. My, my thanksgiving is so weak, Lord, but I'm so sincere, and I praise you, God. And I ask all things in Jesus' name. Amen.